Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 29 for Monday, August 31st, 2015. Greetings, folks, and welcome. To Gig Gab. <laughs> Easy for me to say, the Working Musicians Podcast here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Las Gatas, California, it's Paul Kent. How was your weekend, Paul? I had a really nice weekend. We played a great gig on Friday night, and then I relaxed. And then, you know, we have our big gig that we're putting on for this Saturday. So it's a kind of a, you oh, know, I'm really. That's right. Yeah. So I'm getting really excited for that. Our Our Facebook responses are through the roof. So. We may have that problem. Be careful what you ask for. You know, maybe more people than what we're really like. We ordered a couple extra porta potties, and we have security. But you know, do you have enough for the amount of people that are there? So uh, it's going to be kind of interesting. It'll be a fun show next week when I can give a debrief on it. But right now, I'm just kind of in the in the lead up. You know, yeah. jitters. You know, getting excited for it. But last weekend was really nice. We had a, a super gig on Friday night. I relaxed a little bit. I actually had a whole day on Sunday with almost nothing to do. Wow. I got to play play guitar all day, just you know stuff that I wanted to play, which was kind of fun. So, it, yeah. so not not a gig, just at home playing guitar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What kind of? You? So I I'm curious when when because we 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 um when I was thinking about topics today, that was actually one of the things I was I was going to propose was. What are the things, what are the songs that you play when you get to sit down and it is just you and you're doing it just for you? You're not like working on stuff that you have to work on, you know, the, just you. What, what are those tunes? Uh, uh, or, different or, times or of year. Are, they, different are they even tunes? Yeah. Right. Always songs. Like I'm, I'm a bad scale practicer. You okay. Know? I'm, I'm a bad rudiments type of guy. I, I would do them more to warm up. But to like literally do it to increase your chops, I'm not so good at that. Right now, so it's different things, different time of year. Right now, a lot of acoustic stuff, and I'm really working on my on my finger picking and um, trying to be able to emulate different styles pretty well. So, you know, a lot of James Taylor right now. A lot, a lot of James Taylor. He is a master finger picker. So consistent, so clean, so precise in what he does. Yeah. And so I've been just listening to a lot of James Taylor. A couple of weeks ago it was, it was Jackson Brown. Jackson Brown did a solo acoustic thing and I was just really knocked out by the way that he reinterpreted his own songs for a solo acoustic um, arrangement. So that was, that was kind of cool. But when we get a little bit later and, and we start to get ready to prepare new songs for the house rockers. So I think I've shared, we kind of spend January to April um, working out new songs for the house rockers. I'll spend a good part of Christmas vacation just seeing what songs feel right to me on an sure. electric guitar. You sure. know, actually turn, turning up the amp at home and you know that type of stuff. Yep. And so different times of year, it's different things. Yeah. The house rockers have been playing so much. I've had my my electric guitar in my hands so much, and those songs are becoming part of the DNA. You know, they're just really ingrained now. The the different the left turn for me is to get really mellow with acoustic stuff and and work on uh work on those kind of chops. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah, it gets it you know, it it's uh when you when you're playing regularly and especially for me uh the last couple of years, 
it, I, I feel like I've always, it's rare that I have, that I don't have something I need to work on when I sit down to play, or even when I sit down to listen to music, you know, when I'm doing these theater gigs or, or don't get me wrong, Dave, there's plenty I need to work on whether I'm working on that or not. (laughs) Well, well, but that's the thing is, I mean, right. There's always something I could be working on, but you know, do I have the, the luxury of not doing that? And I, and I kind of, to be honest, I kind of screwed up with this, this last show that I did the dirty rotten scoundrel show. I, um, I listened to it once I went to kind of a loose rehearsal run through ish kind of thing. And that went really smooth and there weren't a lot of notes. And so I thought, you know, I don't need to spend a lot of time with this. And I, I gave myself more luxury listening time and more luxury playing time than I should have. And of course I showed up at the first rehearsal and it was like, Oh, Whoa. Okay. I need to clear my schedule for tomorrow because I need to now learn this show that I should have done last week. You know, that kind of thing. But, um, but part of that's just, you know, the, 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 the pressure valve, right. Is when I, I, I need to remember to enjoy music too. <laughs> Sometimes that, or at least in, in that case, it took priority, but yeah. Um, are there, are there tunes or, or licks, I guess with you tunes, because that's what you said, you, you choose to practice or prefer to practice, but are there certain things that you, certain songs that you come back to that just sort of are automatic for you that, that you'll play, that, that you always feel like you can work on whether you play them in your band or not, just the, just the things that, you know, kind of automatically you want to play when you pick up a guitar to. That's to, an interesting question. It's yeah. different at different times. So okay. the, the acoustic stuff is usually a chops thing or, or an artist thing. I think I kind of go through those. Mm. I go through those phases where I'm listening a lot to one artist and I'm, I'm trying to get into, into that vibe for a while. And then, you, you know, if, if you do it right, you keep a little bit of that, that becomes part of you that you then start learning. So, you know, sure. every player is, you know, everybody, every player is an, is an amalgam of their influences with a leaning towards their biggest influences. And I would say that's certainly me as well. So I've been more of a songs, guy, but, but pure like electric guitar chops. Uh, yeah. You know, it would be more like learning solos, like specific solos would be something I do. Like I really, really like Warren Haynes. Oh. I like him for a lot of reasons. I mean, I like, you know, his tone is unmatched. His, his taste is really, really cool. And he did a, he sat in with Dave Matthews and he did a, a really extended jam solo uh, through um, Jimmy thing one time that is yeah. like, to me, one of the great all time solos, you know, for me, yeah, it's that type of thing. Like I'll take those things and I'll get one of the slower downer, apps that type of thing and i'll really try and get into the new ones you know i'll watch as many youtube videos as i can of the guy playing and try and match what i hear try and keep my ear you know somewhat attuned and then also what i can't figure out you know you can it's pretty easy to be lazy now and just go get it from youtube and so much stuff is tabbed out that right. particular one that warren haynes thing is has been a real you know super one so he, yeah he sat in with dave matthews and he did this really long fantastic solo and that's that it has it has a little progressive aspect to it, a lot of Warren Haynes blues, you know, to it. It, it. There's just a lot of good styles in Warren's playing. Yeah, and um, and so that would be one. You know, that 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 would be more the way I I learn is like to take these long kind of classic guitar solos and just dissect them and you know try and figure out the the style and and uh, you know how to get certain tones out of things and yeah, that, that's more about. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Well, it depends. Um, it, you know, it, it, of course, 
I'm taking out of of this answer everything that I would have to work on for any one thing. If I'm going to, you know, learning new songs with a band I play with or learning new songs for a band I'm going to fill in with or, you know, one of these theater gigs that obviously just just takes over. But when I just get to sit down and play, um, it depends. Sometimes I'll just put headphones on with a click track and uh, and play. And usually I'll play a groove for a while and then maybe play a groove alternating with four measures of fills. And it might be something that I read about, or I've got little patterns that I, you know, that I've always kind of had. And I try to really perfect those and, and make them smooth in the time. But if I'm going to sit and play songs, um, most of the time, the things that I go back to just, if I just want to, you know, kind of refresh my chops and, and just play for the sake of playing and get my hands working again, um, it's always I always go back to Rush songs because I I, um, I there's I, so much to work on in that. You know, well, that's it. I I I've, I've never perfected one right, and yeah. and and so and that's a good thing. So and there's other there's other tunes too. Like I said, I mentioned recently, you know, about a year ago when I met Dave Brunyak, he kind of he was the one that really sparked my interest in learning to play some of these fish grooves and and a lot of those are the same as these Rush tunes that it there's just you know it's like okay well this. I could work on this for 10 years and I'll, I'll never play it, you know, the way he does, but I'll learn stuff along the way. And that's great. And the rush tunes are that way. You know, they're, they're in fact, more so they're really composed drum parts, but, um, but require a lot of, a lot of everything, right? You know, you got to have your time, you got to have your, your dexterity together. You've got to figure out the stickings. And, and so, yeah, I've got, I've got quite a few of those rushes, uh, their their live album that they did after moving pictures in the eighties uh, exit stage left is is kind of the first the first album that I just started playing along to over and over and over again and I still work on that sometimes because it's fun or I play yeah. I play through all the twenty one twelve or something like that it's a you know it's a good little exercise yeah yeah I, I have a drummer question for you yeah all my drummer friends are going to hate me right now but here here's a drummer question how aware are you as a drummer that you drive the bus for stage volume. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, so I'm, if you, if you, if you're finding yourself hitting, hitting your drums pretty, like you're into a groove or something like that. And then you're like, Oh, oh I'm yep. probably pretty loud right now. Yep. <laughs> like this dawns on you during the gig. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I mean, and there, and I, and I have kind of a couple of, of litmus tests for myself that I I'm constantly thinking of that. The first thing I do and, and is that, even though I wear in-ears when we play, a lot of times what I'll do is the, for the first song, I'll play with them out if I, if I can get away with it or maybe one in if I've got to sing harmonies or whatever. But I do that so that I can get my body used to feeling what, it, what it's like to play at an appropriate volume with the other instruments around me. And, and, you know, like not just leaning into the snare drum and, and whacking the crap out of it. It's like, okay, that's what it feels like. Okay. And then I, I consciously think, okay, this is where, this is where I need to be for tonight. You know, this is where this is. And, and then I, you know, kind of give myself that, that reality check, uh, you know, every few songs like, oh, yeah, but the first song is not, is not the problem. It's, it's, you know, the. Well, it's a third of the way through the yeah. second set where the problem starts to be, right? That's right. But that's why I, that's why I, I make my, you know, I set my bar during the first song and it's like, okay. And, and then, yeah, like you said, we get to the second song of the second set and it's like, okay, where, how much harder am I hitting now than I was in the first song? And yeah, we should probably bring it back. And yeah, I'm, I'm hyper aware of it, 
but I'm I and I don't know if that makes me different than than other drummers or not. But if I if if it does also remember, I'm really in tune with what's going on with the sound. When we run our own gigs, we or when we run our own sound, I'm I'm the one that's in charge of it. And and so, you know, to me, the most important thing is getting the vocals out in front. And I know yeah. that 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 that's the last thing that will come out in front if everybody else is playing too loud. Right. So. So I'm, I'm really hyper aware of, of that. Um, I so also, I played with you and you, yeah. you're, you're, um, you're deceptively powerful drummer. Like you have great groove, but you don't, you hit your drums. I mean, you, you can play as loud as anybody can play. So you're, I think I've asked you to turn down in the past and you've been like, Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Like you're always good about it. Yeah. But I'm always curious about like, if you're a drummer, yeah, it's just a loud place to be. I mean, cymbals are just loud and they're right in your head and that's and, right. You know, and things are just loud. And you, and, to be fair, you've never heard me on my own kit or we've never played together when I'm on my own kit. That's true. And that, and, and that's, I think we talked about this, you know, the, the, the symbols are the big, are the big problem for me in terms of volume. If I don't have the symbols with the sound that I'm used to, I'll wind up hitting them harder and especially a ride symbol for that. And then that, that sort of just translates to everything else. Um, and, and those Cirque de Mac gigs just got loud. I don't know yeah. why. Well, I think, I think they got loud because we had a couple of, you know, not very experienced players. It was a huge room where, yeah. where you could get loud as a thing. Yeah, you so, could. Right. That's true. Yeah. I, it, that is the big voodoo of, you know, playing in a, in like a club band is, is how do you find that sweet spot? I mean, it's interesting to me when people are setting up, like even in my band and other bands that go see everybody, when they set their, their stuff on stage, they're making an assumption about, about their volume. Like they're, they're doing something to see if they can hear themselves independent of what they have even heard anybody else on stage do. Mm -hmm. it, and you know, there's like this calculation that goes on that is like a room of this size, a stage of this size, you know, I I'll need to be here. And that starting point is sometimes right, but it's not always right. Right. And that, that's an interesting thing to me. But uh, I told you, you know, my friend Brad is who's Russia's sound guy. Yes. He said, you know, when he was touring with some other band, he goes, you know, it's always about the drums. It's the loudest acoustic thing on stage. Right. Everything stems from decisions about how, you know, where the drums are going to be on that. And it's uh, it's an interesting thing to me because, you know, I don't want to be that get off my lawn guy, but I am getting more sensitive um, that it's just not that fun to play when, when it's just cacophonous, it's just not that fun when it's just a blur of loud. No. And I'm, I'm actually with you on that. I, I prefer playing in an environment where the sound is not, uh, I mean, I don't like playing where it's, where you have to play so quiet that it's, it's, you can't even make the instruments sound like they're supposed to sound right. And that's true. And, 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 and even that, you know, is like adding its own asterisk to the situation. It's like, well, what do you think it's supposed to sound like? Maybe it's okay if it's quieter, but, but there's a point beyond below, which it just doesn't make sense to even play. But, yeah. but you know, you, but lowering to that point, it can actually be a really nice thing. You get a nice mix. Everybody can hear each other. It's not sound just bouncing off everywhere. I've been experimenting lately playing with thinner sticks. I started doing it for actually this, this most recent theater gig that I did. And, uh, and I really liked it. Uh, you know, there's, there's some interesting things that, that it allows me to do. Of course, it makes little fast things easier to play. 
uh, in some ways you have to get sticks that are balanced right for your hands and all of that. But, but playing with thinner sticks, it, it's, it's been an interesting little experiment when um, it, 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 we talk about, and you're right, the drums are the loudest thing, the loudest acoustic instrument on stage, but I had, uh, and this was before I started using in-ears. So we were just using stage monitors all over the place. But when I was on the road with the clam bake, uh, we had uh, a guy, actually a guy named Billy Constable, who who sadly just recently passed away. He uh, he'd been sick for a while, but uh, but about about a week and a half ago, I guess uh, he passed away. But he played banjo, and this guy, I mean, he had more music in it in him than than everybody else I know. I mean, he really he just you know it's just it, then all of us combined. He just was you know an amazing musician, but he was playing a banjo. And that the way his banjo worked, there was a, a, a essentially a clip-on microphone. I mean, it was sort of built into it. But you know, you're basically miking a a, a tambourine, you know, mm-hmm. without bells. Mm-hmm. And so the best part was what we would do is we would get the banjo on stage. We'd, you know, we'd set up all the gear, get the banjo on stage, get that as loud as we could in the monitors without feeding back, and that was it. You, you know, we could not get any louder than that because the banjo had to be heard in the monitors. And so the rule was, and it was a great rule to follow. If you could hear the banjo, you weren't playing too loud. And it was great. Right. It was, but it was a really nice litmus test to use all night long. And it really kept the volume of that. I mean, that band had killer stage volume exactly because of him. Now, I don't want to, I want to short sell the problem here. I mean, to play rock and roll, to play drums, to feel a groove, you can't, you know, there, there's a sweet spot and there's probably a sweet spot for every room where, in every situation where and same, obviously for guitars, for guitars to feel a certain tone and not be, you know, overly dry and plinky. Yeah. You know, they, they, you need a little bit of push into the tubes or you need a little bit of push out of the amp. Yep. So there's, there's uh, it, it, quiet is, it's not quiet that you're after. It's right that you're after. Yeah. Well, and, and, and with space for all the other instruments too. It is, you know, you're looking for that blend is really what it is. And I think we've talked about this before a lot, you know, de- depending on the scenario, but a lot of times when someone comes up and says, you're too loud, you need to turn down. Often what they're saying is the blend is bad. And sometimes what that means is, yeah, bring the instruments back a little bit. You know what? Goose the vocals a little bit. Let's see yeah. how that goes. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's just about getting it to sound good. Um, but yeah, I mean, the instruments, it, and and there's there's something to be said, you know, um, I would encourage everyone at their next band rehearsal to play at half the volume that you that you normally would and just see what it's like. I mean, you, you know, try it for one song. You might hate it and it might actually be bad, but you might get halfway through that tune and realize, you know what, this volume's actually OK. This works. I have a good friend who lives in San Diego and, and he is in a really successful corporate or he's been in a really successful corporate band. They get really great gigs all over the world. They're flown to do these corporate gigs. And um, he says that their rehearsals are almost acoustic. I mean, yeah, everybody's expected to learn their parts and that type of thing. But the, the basic walking through is really, really quiet. Yeah. Huh? I, whatever works for him. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like my to- only point is that it can, it can actually be that. That's one approach yeah. to volume. Yeah. Yeah. I like to, I like to have the rehearsal room, as close to what stage volume would be. But again, I, I actually like stage volume to be pretty low. Um, you know, and those, like, like I said, those Cirque du Mac gigs are weird, big stage, weird. The sound was always crappy in that room. 
for us anyway on stage. It was, you know, I guess it was all right out in the house, but those were weird gigs. Sound wise, hard. Yeah, I was never happy. Yeah. We, we would never dial in our, our no. spot. You know, we we hit a spot late in the gig where what whether it's ear fatigue or whatever, we yeah. were all happy with where it was. Yes, <laughs> or it could be the, the magic of beer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the other right. right. It could be right. where we would be fine with it, but it was never this like sweet pristine yeah. yeah never never sweet spot sweet moments for sure and you know, oh. it, was, it was great fun absolutely but, but in terms of like they had crummy controlled gear, crummy gear in that room too yeah, that has, really did that has changed i heard they put you know i don't know 30 or 40 gram worth of worth of sound uh, equipment in broadway studios so well, good just in time for us to stop playing not be there yeah. yeah exactly but you know they want us back right i do i yeah i hear from them all the time i yeah all, all we need is critical mass of uh, attendees and we're there. We'll play. Oh. Yeah. Yep. So what else you got going today? Well, uh, 20 minutes in the, the, the real topic that I wanted to talk about tonight was I wanted to pick your brain about booking gigs because oh. it's something I've done in the past. It's not something I do much, if any of right now. Uh, but I know that certainly we have listeners that, are out there either doing it or want to do it. And I know you do it. You've done it quite successfully for the last 16 years, right? With, uh, with the house rockers. So I'm just curious when, when you're, when you're approaching and, and a, you know, part of this is asking you to rewind 16 years because I realize a lot of what you do right now is, is built on the foundation that you've, or leverages the foundation that you've built, you know, starting 16 years ago. But you know, what is, what is your, if if you could walk me through with any one club or venue, sort of your, your sales process for the band, right? You know, what, where, from, from first contact to you've got the second gig, right? Because I think that's, that's, that's the, the trick there. Once you get the second gig and they're happy, then you're, then you're in the rotation. But, you know, if you could briefly or not briefly, we got time, walk, walk me through some of that. I would, I would love to hear just your process and I get it. I get that everything's a little bit different, but if you can homogenize it a little bit. Well, it's different now. So it's, it's a little bit more of a, um, of a push than a pull now. Right. So okay. let's go back away and just kind of thought when I first started this, so I had a little bit of business experience, you know, I own my own business and, sure. and you know, in that entrepreneurial mode, you learn to communicate or you don't eat, right? You, you know, you learn, you learn how to talk to people and you learn how to listen, preferably both of those types of things. So when I went out, actually, the original incarnation of the house rockers, I thought I was doing something really unique. We were playing a lot of this music that I really liked, you know, this East coast horn band stuff. And, and I thought, wouldn't people really like to hear something different? And as long as it's played really well and it's entertaining, wouldn't it be great? And uh, there was a, there's a local club here that was kind of the club. We might, we might've done like a couple of you know church festivals or something like that. That friend of a friend's would just, Hey, you got a band you want to play. Sure. But, but this was, this was the first time where I actually, I, I, I targeted this place. I went in, I met the owner, the guy, you know, if you call, you find out who does the booking, you know, they'll, usually that's not a hard thing. They'll tell you. And I went in and I met the owner and I told him, Hey, we're doing some different stuff. It's kind of cool. We got a horn section. And he, what he heard is a horn section. And, uh, and I said, different. He goes, Oh, different's good. And I think the main thing was he could see that I wasn't crazy 
I, I don't even remember if I had a, I don't even remember if I had a demo for the, for those first gigs. Maybe yeah. not. Yeah. Um, yeah. He, and he might not have asked for one, but it was mostly a relationship that got started. And, you know, I just said, Hey, you know, I'm back into doing this after a while. I put together some good players and, you know, we're fun and, and these types of things. I really thought I was being quite original in my approach. And we went in and we played the stuff we had and 80% of it um, was kind of, we weren't as good as I thought we were. And the, the material, you know, didn't resonate the way I thought it would, you know, the, it's uniqueness of it. So you started to learn the message about, about you got to understand you're in the entertainment business, the, the place for ex, artistic expression. You have to kind of put that in perspective as to what you're doing. And you go right back. And even then I, I was somewhat naive that it was all about, about selling beer. Now, fortunately I had a lot of friends and we filled the place pretty well and it got us a second gig, but he said, you know, you're really going to have to play stuff. People from my regular audience were like, you know, where, where's the dance music? And so it was kind of a harsh lesson about it. But the one thing that I took away from it is that if you can get to a place where you have just a decent conversation, you know, you're not demanding a gig, you know, it, it seems like common sense now, but you, you just say, Hey, I'd like to play for you. And, um, you know, here's what we do. And just being able to have a conversation, uh, like he's the customer essentially, yeah. and you're selling him a service. Once you accept that at face value, it makes for the, the, it makes an environment where you can conduct a little bit of business. Now, after that, of course, you know, we got a demo and there were no YouTube videos back when we started. So sure. it wasn't, it wasn't like that, but we did a demo and, you know, I pressed some CDs and I would send some things out. And, you know, we were, we did have the benefit of being different. And so with the five piece horn section, just the sound was, was a little bit different. And so it opened some doors. I got a little bit better. We were a little bit more entertaining. Uh, and, and we started to get there, but it was a lot of persistence. I mean, you know, back then when nobody knew who we were, it was a lot of calls. It was um, a lot of things sent in the mail, um, email. So this is 99, um, you know, there's email, but you know, it wasn't as widely used by sure. everybody. So it was a lot of phone calls. It was a lot of swallowing your pride going in, you know, finding out who the booking contact was going in and just having a conversation with someone and truly just showing that you, that you get it, you know, that you demonstrate, Hey, I think we can bring in a decent crowd. You know, here's what we do to do that. And if you, if you can answer that question first, that's a huge thing. I mean, there's a booker, in this area who books a pretty good room. That's what his quiz is. Is like, don't have me ask you what you're going to do to bring in. You tell me when you ask you, if you want to play here, tell me what your, what your email lists are like. Tell me what your social media reach is like. Does your band do the magic thing for him is phone chains. You know, that's the thing that will almost always get you a gig. If you say, yeah, well, I got six guys. We'll each make 10 calls and we'll ask our fans to make two calls each and phone change of the thing. So for him, you know, that's, that that's interesting. Just, well, that's so yeah. old school, but, but clearly uh, effective, right? Well, it's effective for getting this gig. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I would be curious how many of the bands who promised him they're going to do it actually did it. We did it once and it was not, not everybody in the band did it, even if they said they would. So of course. So, yeah. So, so point one, um, talk to the person, respect that he's the customer and, and, you know, approach the, conversation that way you don't want to be too meek about it because he's also got plenty of people that are begging him for gigs 
And that's, I don't think anybody wants to deal with someone who's that desperate. Desperate is a weakness D- that desperate, I think you need. Yeah, it, it, it comes across worse than you think. That's right. Yep. 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 So um, then you got to get, as we got more sophisticated, mature, it's about getting your act together. So we had a really nice brochure, nice picture of us on it. You know, just the, again, that, that we were different. We, we dressed respectably. Picture, you know, showed us not overly dressed. You know, we're not, we weren't going to be one of those bands that wears costumes or that everybody wears a suit or, you know, it, we're sure. just dressed respectfully, yeah. you know, pro- professionally. So we had that song list wrote some decent texts that talk about why we think our band is different. And then we had our CD and we, you know, for lack of a better word, we had a media kit to send out and I sent out a lot of those, but these are, there might be one club out of 50 that goes through those things. Cause they're getting hundreds of them. Absolutely. Right. Yep. So blind dropping media kits is, is not, is not terribly useful. Yeah. But then again, bands starting to go along. We're starting to network with other bands other bands are putting us in touch with the right guy and you get to drop a name. It is literally sales 101. It is literally building up a rapport, you know, getting your foot in the door. And then when you get your foot in the door with the right guy, the guy who can make the decision. Yeah. Are you ready to tell him something that will help? So, you know, sometimes it's saying, Hey, do you want something new? You know, are you ready to try something? And again, when you're just starting a lot of means like I, I think I've shared before, we did a year of Wednesdays in, the, in this club that I've been talking about. We did a year of Wednesdays there and that, those, you know, one thirty in the morning on a work night. That was a, that was a thing for a while, right? That's a, th- that's a thing. Yeah. And then, we, and then we moved to Thursday nights and Thursday nights is like around here. I think a lot of people do four, 10 hour days. So Thursday night's a pretty good club night. Yep. And then that experience, once you got the one club, you could then now have a little bit of credibility to go to other clubs. You can talk about other things that you're doing. I always was of the mind that you play, which was a little bit hard, especially for some of the experienced players in my band. They were like, what are we taking that gig for? But I was in a mind, you got it. Your best advertising is yourself. So get a gig. You know, it doesn't mean take anything, but you know, within reason, take a lot of gigs and get out there. A, you're honing your craft. And even for the guys who are the polished pro semi-pro musicians, I would say, I don't care how good you are. It's different if a band is going to play together. So the more opportunity you get to do that, the better. And again, I, I have a lot of, like in my band, I have some, you know, full-time musicians and they're like, we got to rehearse. Yes. Otherwise it's just a collective collective of you know, guys with good chops, but it's, it's different than the butter you get when yeah. it's everybody knows how to play together. So you get out there, you know, have your act together in terms of getting, collecting mail lists and now collecting email. And, and so when you go into a club, your case can be even better that you know what you're doing, that you've got your hands around the problem. I understand. I accept the fact that, you know, part of the deal here is our ability to bring, bring an audience to this stuff. Yeah. So that helps with credibility. And then as you add things, but to answer the original question, my process was more about understanding he's a customer. I'm trying to sell him a service. Is my service right for him? In those first couple of gigs, my service was not right for him. Sure. It was a, dan- it was a dance club, right? right? And I thought we were the greatest thing since sliced bread. And we went in with this stuff that was, you know, I loved it. And some people got a kick out of it. And a few less than that knew it. But overwhelmingly, you know, this was a club that Mustang Sally, Brown Eyed Girl, Sweet Home Alabama. They like those bands that yep. do that. And that's what they want. And that's who gets booked there. Yeah. So yeah, that, no, that so- was part of the education. Yeah. Okay. So 
understanding a couple of things, a understanding what your, what the result of your, of them buying your product is right. You know, I mean, it's sales one oh one, like you said, but, but breaking it down for people that don't understand what sales one oh one is, is, is really being honest with what the situation is. You, you know, you're, you're there to entertain people and keep them buying beer. Right. I mean, it, it, in, in most clubs, that's what it is. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and, and also, you know, another big part of sales one Oh one is understanding that sales is a game rooted in negativity, right? Y- you know, 19 knows out of 20 phone calls is success because it, true. it means you got one. Yes. It takes a lot of diligence. I mean, I, I think that's the thing you can't have too much ego in it. The biggest problem, assuming everything else, assuming you're, you know, a nice guy, sure. you're respectful, you know, you go in, you're professional. The problem is that there's just so much mass out there. There's just so much competition in most, in most, most reasonable markets. You know, I have a friend who just started helping out a, a local club here. And he said, as soon as his name was associated with the mail list, he's getting a hundred packets a week, you know, a band. He says, there's no way I could listen to these even if I wanted to. Right. So who does he book? He books who he knows. You know, if he has a cancellation, he might, he might go to, but, but you know, he, the first year he has who he knows the first year he has who he knows who's made a recommendation. Right. But really sitting down and listening to demo kids, it is a, it is a distant fifth uh, of the priorities that you got to be have. You got to get out there. You got to meet people. You got to let people know we're doing something, you know, how do bands get in here? Uh, you, you really have to, res- this is the best thing, respect the process because it is, it is just about the same all over. Yep. Don't get discouraged. Stick with it. Always be professional. Always be professional. Even if you get a no, a lot of times how you handle a no is the thing that can stick in a guy's head. Absolutely. And when he does have an opportunity, you know, that then it can happen. Well, so one so, way, one way I've found, you know, I mean, I think about, uh, of course, always be closing, right. You, you know, which in the sales world means always, you know, be, be assuming that assuming success, even though it, you're not going to get it. Um, and one way to turn a no into a yes, specifically in, in this environment that, that I found is if there is a club and you've gone to them and, and they've said no, or they just, they haven't booked you, which is the same as saying no. Right. You know, like you said, they, they may have nothing against you. They just don't have a need for you because yeah. all their slots are filled with the people that they know. So if it's really important to you and you feel like this is the right club, go there as a patron. You know, if they serve food, go have dinner and make a point of saying hi to the guy. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm or, or the woman. I mean, whoever it is, you know, I'm whatever, you know, Paul from the house trackers. I'm Dave from fling. And, uh, and that's how that stuff, you know, Oh, look, this is a nice person. They're here just because, you know, and they're, they're these people, whether they own the place or, or just work there, they've got some emotional investment in seeing people believe that this place is a valuable place to be. And so if you prove to them, it's their, it's their living, it's it's their their living, right? Yeah. So and I, I'm going to assume that for most of the people who listen, you know, ju- judging by the type of comments and questions we've gotten, this is really very junior stuff. But it's it, it, it's worth saying again, remember the basis of what you're doing. Yep. You know, remember you're, you're, you're selling a service. Now, 
It's good for right. all of us to remember the basics, man. It doesn't matter how long we've been doing it. We, you know, at, at Backbeat, which is the, you know, my day job where we, you know, we're basically a team of, of salespeople, right? That go out and, and do stuff. We are constantly reminding ourselves of the basics because That's it's good. It's well, it's, it's, it, they're, they're basics for a reason. They work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, and I would also say this is uh, don't be something you're not. So if you're not a polished salesperson, now some people have the gift of, yeah, you know, setting aside objections or answering objections right away. Some people are born salespeople. They get it intuitively or they've studied it and they like doing it, whatever it is. If that's you, great, you know, then figure out your pitch. And when he says, I don't have any space, you know, know how you're going to respond to that. And, you know, you can go back to the basics of sales that there's, there's no belief that you can deliver what you say you can deliver the guy you're talking to is no authority. You know, you're not talking to the right guy who can make the decision. Right. You know, they don't have the money that you're going to need in order to do a gig for them. You know that. So figure out how to handle the likely objections that are coming. Uh, and some people are good at that, but the, I, I highly advise if you are not that guy, find your rhythm to just be like, well, you know, if I don't do this, my band isn't going to play somewhere. So I, I better at least get the fundamentals of how to talk to a decision maker down so I can just have a, you know, a respectful conversation. And again, if he says no, it's not a rejection of you. I mean, unless you're, unless you've given him a reason to reject you, right. you personally, right? <laughs> right. I mean, unless, yeah. you, unless you've done something to make him kick you out. But, you know, it's more like I don't have the need or the belief that you can do for me what I need done for me, for me to part with my money and, you know, put you into my rotation. Yeah. They're taking a chance on you. Yeah. 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 And rarely are they going to go out and listen to other bands. No. But if you start with, you know, have a business like relationship. And then if you add to that, as you start to do things um, that demonstrate that you can, that you can add to your credibility, whether it's other gigs, you're written in the paper, it's an ongoing conversation. A no now is not necessarily a no in six months. That's right. But you can't stop. You got to keep, keep on going. And again, if you want your band to work, this is the options for you is being persistent and professional all the time. It's, it's, uh, it, it, club owners are a whole genre of thinking. Some guys bought clubs for girls or, or yeah. guys. Some yeah. guys have bought clubs, you know, to launder money. You know, it could be, yeah. it could be anything, right? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole, it, it's, it's a different type of thing. There's definitely a power trip thing that often goes on. There are also some really, really, really nice club owners. No, most of them actually are really nice that I've encountered. But I mean, I, there, there I would, are those that are, that aren't. I don't know that I would say most. I, like, I, I, when I think of the club owners that I know, that, or, or, the, or the club bookers that I know, I know a couple that are ex, like over the top, considerate and professional. They're like, hey, if you want to play here, here's what I need from you. Here's yeah. when I make decisions. Here's the hours that I'm typically in my office. If you want to give me a call and talk to me about your band, that to me is is way on one side of it. And then there's you know other club owners that feel like they're doing you a favor. It's it's interesting. I actually say that because as it's coming out of my mouth, we have one club that we play that it's a pretty good gig. We get a good crowd there. We've built an audience in this in this area. Uh, the the club owner has been prickly in the past. And, um, some of the guys have expressed, do we really want to do this? And I'm like, dude, I worked my butt to get us in here. We have an audience. It's not, about, to me, it's not about whether you like the club owner or not, but to them, actually it is about whether they like the club owner, which is kind of an, huh. kind of an interesting thing. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about that? Like, can you play for a place? 
he pays you. He does what he says he's going to do, but he's not particularly pleasant. He doesn't go out of his way to make you feel comfortable at his place. But you know, at the end of the day, he gives you, he pays you and he does what he says he's going to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's a continuum there, right? There's the person that's the, the absolute dream to play for. And then there's the person that's actually abrasive to you from the moment you, you show up on the, on the doorstep, right? You know, the, the person at that end, no, I, I, I won't go back, but there is the middle ground of, okay, th- this guy doesn't act like I'm his friend because I'm not his friend. You know, he's not interested in me being his friend, but he doesn't, you know, bark at me when I walk in the door. Um, maybe he says nothing to me. I can take that. That that's, that's about as far as I go. And somebody gets abusive or abrasive. Eh, it's it, that, that I'm, I'm not into it at that point, but anything up to that. Yeah. I don't need him to be friendly. I just need him to not be a jerk. So, and a guy's an actual borderline of abra- There's a, in that continuum, Yeah, you would say there's nothing worse paying than nothing that would make it worth playing for a guy who makes you, oh, it just makes me uncomfortable when I walk in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't, but I, I you know, I have lo- I, lesser expectations to the guy. So, I, you know, I don't, I don't really don't give a crap if it's a nice person. Like I'll do more for a nice guy. Sure. So, Nice guy, you know, I'll I'll play a little bit extra. I'll move our set times around, you know, requests, the the, the little things that we can do to make his life better. But if it's just strictly a business thing, and actually he's, he's fine to me. He's just not particularly nice to my, some of my band mates. And I suppose as a leader, I should be more sensitive to that. But at the end of the day, I talked to him. We got a little bit more money out of him and, you know, things that you never thought would happen. Yeah. Well, things are not always black and white, right? No, well, that's the thing. I mean, if he's being nice to you and not nice to the other guys, I might actually take a step back and say, well, why is that? You know, have they not bothered to, you know, like I I don't like I said, I don't book most of the gigs, but every manager of every club that I play, I I reach out to him. You know, when I get there, I thank him for having us. You know, I start by being Mr. Friendly Mm. because why not? Right. It's it's easier. Life's easier that way. And I some, will say this. Sometimes it gets you free drinks or free dinner, and that's not yeah, yeah, a bad yeah. thing either, you know. So. I, I will say this. So, so I, maybe I was being a little harsh from saying it's less than most, almost universally, it's a very stressful job owning and operating a club. Absolutely. I mean, it seems like, and they come and go, and, yeah. you know, it's a- Yeah, it's, the, fail, it's, the it's, failure rate is, is, is astronomically high. Yeah. But you should know what you're getting into, right? So yep. if it's a club that you're only getting paid based upon who you come because the club has no draw- you do not want that type of nope. stress. Nope. It, it, it will never work well because you nope. can never bring enough people. No. And typically, you know that those, you know, those places by how much they're willing to pay you. You know, if they're not willing to pay whatever the kind of, you know, you got to figure out what your market rate is here. The, 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 the bottom is a hundred bucks a man. And if somebody's not going to pay that much, I mean, maybe it's 80 and, and the place is like, you know, there's other factors involved and it's fine. But if somebody's like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll pay you, uh, you know, 30 bucks a guy and or 100 bucks for the band to play. It's like, yeah, you probably aren't the right room for us, even though we don't care about the money. Uh, you know? Yeah, we just got an offer. Interesting. We just got an offer. One of the local professional sports teams runs a music series that goes along with the when the sports team plays. I'm not going to name any names here, but sure. And uh, we played last year and we did great. They said they loved us. They called us back this year <laughs> and they wanted to pay us less and give us less. So less guests. I mean, they, they just wanted to yeah. reduce it all together. And I actually, I, I gave it to the band. I said, you guys decide. I said, I, I actually am negative on this. 
but I know it's a local pro sports team and it's, you know, kind of a fun thing to do. So sure. if I, I'm in, if you guys are in and they universally were like, no, they're the guys are being greedy. You know, they, you know, they look yeah. at what they charge parking, you know, look what they charge for a hamburger, you know, that type of stuff. If they can't afford to pay us a hundred bucks a man, yeah. it's not a gig. Yep. Yep. So I have a, I have a funny story. Uh, Mike who books uh, fling, primarily he's, he's certainly the one that books, you know, probably 80, 90% of our gigs. And then the rest of them kind of filter in through the rest of us. But Mike's the one that does the hard work, uh, in fling. And he's actually, he's really come into the, the, the role and, and does very well with it. He, um, you know, there's, there's the club that, that, like you said, a no now is, is not a no six months from now, or even two years from now. And there's this one club. He was just after him and after him. And he really felt like it would be a good place for fling to play, but they just wouldn't give him the time of day. I mean, they'd be cordial when, when he walked in there and talked to him or whatever, but they never gave him a shot or anything. And so, uh, one day he, uh, he makes a lot of band phone calls in his car, you know, while he's going to or from whatever. And, uh, and so on his way to, I don't know, to, uh, to work, I guess he left this guy a message and he said, Hey, you know, uh, it's Mike from fling. I just want to let you know, we've been trying to get in there for two years and uh, you really haven't given us the time of day. So I just wanted to let you know if your club was the last club on the planet for a band to play at and you offered us a gig, we would turn it down. We just don't like to work with people like that. Five minutes later, he had, I don't think the guy called him. He might've called him. He either had a phone call or an email from the guy offering him dates. Wow. Yeah. I wonder why. Now, first of all, did he expect that response? Like, no. Was he trying that in order? No, but, but there is, I mean, you know, in sales, there is that classic, you know, human, it, you're playing on human nature when, when you do that, whether you know it or not. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's that classic, put it on the table and take it away. As soon as we humans feel like we've missed an opportunity, we're massively interested in it. You know, and, and it happens all the time. You can, you know, you can see it, 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 car dealers do it. Everybody that's a pro at sales does it. And, and Mike, I don't know. I honestly don't know if, if it was my, my guess it was, is, is it was to do exactly what it did. And the guy called them and, and uh, put us on the schedule for like, you know, four dates that year or whatever. And, and it's actually been a great club to play. (laughs) So rarely do I get that, that bummed out. I mean, I will say this. I have a couple of bookers around here who are very, you know, like there, there's, there's four or five bookers that, that own more or less different parts of the Bay area. Yeah. There's a guy who owns the North Bay. There's a guy who owns the South Bay and you know, it just makes sense, you know, get in with these guys. And I'm not quite clear after all this time. I mean, I'm probably more clear than I think what their decision making. I'm like, we'll go and we'll kill and then they won't book us the next year or two years, whether they're using their own litmus of, of cycling through bands, but it's really hard to get a regular thing going with some of them down here in the South Bay. Cause you know, where I live, we have such a good draw. The guy in the South Bay is pretty happy with us, but we've done great gigs where we have crushed, walked out of it with, you know, several pieces of corporate work or something like that. And the guy wouldn't give us a gig back the next year, which is just crazy to me. Yeah. I tend to not do that. Well, the hell with you. I did it one time and the guy was actually pretty cool about it. He was like, you know, let, let's talk. You know, yep. he wasn't offering me a gig, but he yep. was like, he was like, Paul, you don't want to do it. He was, I'd, I'd been so nice to him for so long. He was like, Paul, you don't want to, you don't want to do that. You know, yeah. I, I get that you're ticked off. Let's just talk about it. And we had, you know, a reasonably business like talk, 
rarely have I ever, that might be the only time that I've ever like, yeah. screw you, you know, the heck, yeah, the heck I don't, you. I don't think, I think Mike's uh, approach to this one guy, I think it was, it wasn't a, I'm really upset. Screw you. It was a so far over the top delivery of, of this, that, that it I was think, theater. Yeah, it was theater. And the guy really appreciated it. And so and, I've done that. You know, yeah. I, I, like I, I've sung to people on the phone <laughs> over email. We've written them poems, but you know, about stuff. And yeah. again, you have, this is the thing. If you're not a natural born salesperson, the best advice I can give you is have some fun with it. Right. You know, you're going to get a lot of rejection. And if you let it get to you, it's going to make you crazy. You have to remember it has nothing to do with your uh, contribution as a musician to the karmic well-being of the universe. You that's can't, right. can't let it get into your head. You have to separate those two things and it's hard to do. It's, you know, it's, it's easy. Total rejection, to say. just not fun. So, nope. but if you can, if you can make it fun and you can make it a sport and, you know, just have a good attitude, like I get it, you know, totally don't have, you're going to need a band like mine someday. You know, we're We can make you a lot of money and we, you know, we're really entertaining. And again, that's what they want. We're yep. the entertaining, sell their beer, Bring your own crowd if that's what you want. If you want to do the festival circuit, you know, might be, a, you got to know your customer. What do they want is much more important than what do you have? Well, the original artist. In, in a couple of, you know, maybe next month or the month after, I want to, I want to pick your brain about the festival circuit specifically because, because the time will be right to, uh, yeah. to kind of prime everyone uh, that listens for that. Including yeah. A lot me. of that stuff yeah. is getting booked now in, in November and December of the year before. Yeah. You know, the summer. So right. it is, it, right. that'll be a good conversation, but that I, I do want to share with everybody. You gotta, you gotta enjoy the ride of this. It's part of the deal that you signed up for. If you want to be a working musician and I'll tell you, we've had, we've had, some of the best musicians in the Bay area sub for my horn section. I, you know, I've guys who play for the Doobie brothers, play for Huey Lewis and the news, mm. some of the really great. And you know what, if they're free on a Wednesday night and they're a professional full-time musician, my bands, you know, not Huey Lewis and the news, my band's gig is just as good as anybody else's. They'll take those gigs. Absolutely. And so there's a humility that you have to understand in being a musician for hire you know, an original musician, a little bit different. You're committed to your art and you know, the whole gang game there is, is whether you can find an audience for your art, but in selling this cover, you know, non-original music, you really have to understand the game and embrace the game, right? Yep. Don't wish it was something else. You know, if you, let's see here. Ah, so, so here's a good thing. Uh, there's a band in this area. They're pretty good. And they'll choose to play some pretty intense Zeppelin at dance clubs. So a whole lot of love. Yeah. I've, you know, I've done that. Yeah. It works. It's hard though. Is, is my, well, it can work is the yeah. thing. Yeah. You have to be really good at it. Yep. And if, and if you're garage band Zeppelin, you're running a risk that it's not danceable and it's pretty loud and it's, pretty screaming. It's easier if you have a killer singer who's female that looks great. <laughs> I, that's been my experience kind of a with, universal with right? yeah i know I, I and i don't say it's terrible to say that because it's it's horribly sexist and and that's true but it's also simply true yeah it's simply true yeah yeah that's why so many bands have female singers yeah yeah yeah, you know, yeah it yeah. sells it's, you know covers a wide range so you, you really have to embrace the game play the game don't get discouraged by the game don't let it be don't ever let it feel like it's a commentary on your chops. They, they're two entirely different things. Yeah, Unless you they're not. You don't have to be yeah. able to play well to entertain a crowd. It, I mean, it, it, and I say that being someone who hones his craft obsessively, 
I feel like I do, but, but I know that in reality, it doesn't, if I can play a, you know, a, a flamadiddle at, at, at 240 beats per minute, that's irrelevant to uh, whether or not I have the ability to be part of a unit that entertains a crowd. I'll agree with that. Yeah. So that, that's kind of my ABCs of bookings. That's it. Thanks, man. That was fun. Good stuff. Folks, it's a good topic. Yeah, it's a really good topic. Yeah, and I and I do. I want to come back and and specifically visit the festival stuff. And that's a very selfish wish, but but we're going to do it anyway. Um, cool. Not yep. next week, maybe, but you know, sometime. So wish me wish me luck. This Saturday is my big gig. I want to hear have, all about it. And there's that song I want to hear about too that you teased us with uh, about a month ago. Yeah. So I want to I want to hear the the whole story of that too. So you'll get it. Just to give you an idea. So last year, going into the day of the gig. We had 375 people RSVP'd to our Facebook invite, and we and but that's not the only marketing we did. Sure, and we had 3,500 people show up. <gasps> Today, we have 1,600 people Facebook invite, and as far as I can tell, the like the RS the um, buzz around town, the awareness around town is really huge. So, like I was saying, keep your fingers crossed for me that you know it becomes a manageable thing. You know, everybody has a good time, everybody hazes themselves, and all those little subtle things like. Did you order enough porta potties? You know, those things we're going to find out how we did. So, so you know, send good I, karma my way. I have, I, the, the good karma will be sent your way. We will all send it your way, but I have been involved in gigs with you where we've had more people there than we should in the room. And I, I know that you have the ability to deliver the right energy back to those people that they're all going to stay focused on, on the good of it. And it's going to just all go well. That's a really nice compliment. Thanks. Yeah, man. Yeah. Have fun with it. And I can't all wait right. to hear we'll about talk, it. We'll, we'll report back next week. All right. Feedback at giggabpodcast.com, folks. That's where, please send us your questions. Send us your thoughts. We would love to hear from you. It, uh, it helps inspire us to keep doing what we do here. So feedback, giggabpodcast.com. We will see you next week. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Dave.